hello and welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Jeff Baumgartner, a senior editor at Light Reading. Hi, Jeff. I'm Dr. Richard Green. Um, I'm retired, recovering CEO of Cable Labs. Recovering CEO, I like that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's great to have you on. Yeah. CEO, yes. Former CEO of Cable Labs, in other words. Right. The recovering CEO, I like that too. But, uh, but Dr. Green, it's good to have you on the podcast today. So thanks for uh, for joining me. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. So today, you know, because we had a little email exchange. You know, we used to talk a lot um, in your Cable Labs days, particularly about Doxis and Packet Cable and OCAP and True Two, a lot of things. But um, so we're we're definitely going to kind of take a look back and and also look forward a bit. I think on the topic of okay cable broadband and video technology. And you, know, you, of course, have a long history in the industry, but um, but you've also been keeping your finger on the pulse, right, of um, what's what's going on. So maybe just to help get our bearings or help everybody get their bearings, what are what have you been up to today? What, what uh, industry related anyway? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, I, I think one of the things about retirement that I learned very quickly is don't do it. You know, stay active and be involved. And uh, <laughs> I've been very lucky. I retired from Cable Labs in 09, I think, as you know, and uh, immediately went on some of the, the public company boards. So I've been on four uh, public company boards for the last few years. Um, we uh, One of them is Shaw communications in Canada. Uh, and just last week, uh, we completed the sale of Shaw to Rogers. So uh, that board uh, had to resign from that one. The board no longer exists. So uh, mm -hmm. now I'm on three uh, public company boards. And then I participate on several nonprofits as well. But I think the important thing is uh, it's really been great for me to stay active um, on kind of, if you will, the other side of the table from Cable Labs and really be in the operational environment with these operating companies. Right. Now, who, um, of, of uh, you know, you're right, since the, the Roger Shaw deal uh, is done. So where else? Because I thought like Liberty Global was one. Like where, who, where else are you uh, kind of tied in these days? Well, I think, you you know, important ones in the cable industry are uh, Liberty uh, Broadband, which is a Oh, broadband. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the interest there is, of course, between Charter and uh, Alaska. Uh, and then Liberty Global, which is uh, European, as you know. Right. Mm -hmm. And so those, and of course, you know, both com companies have kind of migrated since I, uh, when you think, you know, oh, nine, a long time ago, really, a lot of changes in the industry, uh, a lot of development in the company. So, both of you know, both of those companies are uh, have changed quite a, quite a lot in the way uh, they look at the world and uh, their business and um, there's their technology and strategy, and of course those yeah. are my real interests. Um, right. I'm also involved in. Um, I think that you might be interested in is a nonprofit, um, and. Uh, the idea was this is uh, a little company trying to do kind of the same thing uh, that uh, Cable Labs did, but only in the healthcare industry. Try to find uh, common interfaces 
for uh, equipment, software, so that there can be interchange of uh, healthcare, healthcare equipment. And uh, that's been interesting. Uh, very different industry than the cable industry, though. So I have yeah. to say, but still, kind of in that same same type of goal, right? Interoperability, scale, you know, the, that sort of thing. You know. Yeah, I think in one of the interesting things there that you might know is that Ed Miller, who was at Cable Labs, uh, yeah. had, had gone over and was uh, CTO uh, for that interoperability effort. Uh, for and you know, it's has a board. Uh, composed of the uh, the CEOs of the big healthcare uh, hospital chains and so on. So the idea was very similar, uh, but it is a different industry and you know a much larger industry in a lot of ways. But just as an aside, okay, so you can imagine all that keeps it pretty busy. Yeah, got his, uh, right. his son finishing up his PhD uh, next month at uh, in Seattle University of Washington. Okay. And, in immunology, so he's graduating PhD from the medical school. I'm very proud of him. Great, that, okay. that's another strong interest. <laughs> All right, well, good. Well, I thought, and, and I thought it was interesting too. You talked about um, uh, going back to the industry side, right? Yeah, you've seen a lot of change over the years recently at uh, you know, Liberty Broadband, Liberty Global. I think a lot of change is happening elsewhere in the industry. But um, you know, I guess I wanted to maybe go back a little bit, right? Because you were the first head of Cable Labs, right? Founded way back in 1988, I, uh, I believe. And uh, so Doxus wasn't even born yet, right? Um, that came later, but um, um, I mean, when, when they put Cable Labs together, I mean, what do you recall about the, the main drivers that led to the creation of that? I mean, it wasn't just with about something like Doxus on the horizon, right? Uh, well, no. I mean, if you were to look carefully at the slides for those first board meetings, you'd see, yes, that the, the germ was there. Um, and I think it's a long story, but two of the major programs for Cable Labs from the first board meeting, one of them was to uh, uh, to develop high-definition television and digital for cable. For cable. Okay. Uh, as you remember, back in 88, everything was analog. We just didn't yep. really have digital, uh, we did, uh, at least in digital, uh, able to, tele uh, to transmit television pictures. And then another uh, important one was telecom. Uh, it was broadly defined at that time being telephony, uh, data, and video telephony. <clears throat> and the idea was to uh, begin programs looking at technology that could be developed for use in the industry on those two fronts. There were other topics related to specific operations issues in cable, but gosh, they're lost in the <laughs> way out beyond the past horizon of cable. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But those were the main drivers, right? And then, you know, one yeah. of them turned into what we know as Doxus. And, you know, you were there for the dawn of Doxus. And, uh, you know, as I was looking back, I'm trying to remember the drivers, you know, I think Interoperability, of course, retail was a big aspect of it. Um, we're all kind of tied in there. Um, well, I think, yeah. you know, probably one of the major things to say here, Jeff, is um, it was one of the brand new technologies coming along after Cable Labs was formed. Okay. And um, I'll just give you a quick 
thumbnail, and you'll have to check the dates because I am not sure about uh, the exact dates on all of this. But um, as it as as you as you point out, uh, we had a broad mandate in telecom. Looking at that, what happened with that is an executive committee committee meeting in New York. And I remember it being in the fall, and I would say probably about 92. Okay. Uh, I made a presentation saying, we, we see uh, data transmission developing here uh, and, and, and methods for transmitting data on, on the cable plant, uh, addition to everything else we transmit. So, you know, it looks promising. There are three companies uh, building hardware and uh, marketing it to cable operators. I think at the time they were Motorola, Land City, and Zenith. Um, and they were all uh, selling what were, you know, basically kind of experimental models to- So definitely uh, proprietary, right? Yeah, yeah, well, they were all proprietary and they were all yeah. different. Mm -hmm. And uh, the executive committee um, sort of looked at me and one of the members, said, you know, why don't we ask Cable Labs to look into that and see if we can't develop a common interface because we really don't want to have uh, three separate transmission systems <laughs> all incompatible with each other. And this is an opportunity for us to look into common standards. And um, the uh, executive committee agreed. In fact, uh, it's really interesting. You could probably go back and get the minutes of that meeting because I've looked at them and the summary was done by John Malone saying we tasked cable labs to go look at a way of working with the cable industry and working with the suppliers to develop a common standard for interoperability. And that was the birth of DOCSIS. That yeah. particular one. And what did the companies think that, about that? I mean, how did you get the companies to, because uh, they're all like, hey, you know, this is our technology. This is proprietary. We don't want to get, uh, you know, lumped into this, <laughs> this, well, this, I, this, uh, this effort, um, you know, that, that might, I don't want to say dilute what we're doing, but I mean, there had to be some concerns, I guess. I, mean, yeah, I can understand why the operators wanted to do it, but yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, real, you know, real interesting problem. Um, and I think the other thing that I'm not mentioning here, and I remember this, and I'm not sure this is in the minutes. It probably is. They said, and do this in six months. Oh, okay. And that's <laughs> plenty of time, right? <laughs> well, and I remember thinking, oh, what am I going to say here? And then I said, well, of course, I'll try. I'll try. And as you read, Recall, it took like two years or something like this. It took a lot longer to really develop mm -hmm. the specs. Um, to give you a quick thumbnail of how we did this, uh, obviously, the first thing we did is go back to all the operating companies, our cable companies, and say, what do you want in a data product? Give us a list of the attributes you want. And they did. Uh, they came forward, and a lot of that was based on some of the experiment, you know, experimental work that they were doing with these these uh, commercial companies, um, mm -hmm. but we refined that list. We went back to them. We held meetings with uh, the CTOs and their staff talking about it. Well, what do you really want here? Um, so out of that came a list of requirements. 
And again, this is all in the record, and the, that list of requirements, I'm sure, is available, you know, somewhere in the. But it's what, but it's what became Doxis. Well, yeah. yeah, though this was the very start. That's the requirement. Okay. Then we went out with an RFP, saying to industry, anybody who would be willing to build um, a modem, a de- uh, both both ends of a device mm-hmm. to transmit yeah. data. So we went out with that RFP. I don't know. Uh, there were probably 500 companies on that because we that we responded widely. It was an open. Uh, 500 RFP responded. Say, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. uh, we went out to 500. Okay. I don't remember how many responded, but hundreds. Okay, so you um, cast a pretty bit wide net, though. Oh yeah. Well, we basically uh, were open to the world and say, mm-hmm. you know, anybody that's interested in building this. Uh, the thing that was very interesting is, of course, we had uh, responses from all over the world, from a lot of the Japanese manufacturers, European manufacturers, and so on. In fact, the, f- the first two really successful um, modems that met the standard, uh, one was Thompson, basically European, and the other was Japanese, uh, which was Toshiba. Okay. Uh, that was years later. Okay. Yeah. To, quickly give you a thumbnail. So we did the requirements, sent out the RFP, got the responses, evaluated the responses very carefully and very confidentially um, because we were establishing ourselves as a professional organization. And um, we really wanted to be credible to manufacturers and to the operators. Just as you say, there were some operators, I mean, there were some manufacturers that were downstream already had designs. Um, those designs did not meet the requirements exactly. There were things, in fact, you know, the requirements in part, uh, I'm sure took good ideas that were had already been uh, developed and said, well, we want that, but we want this too. And adding mm-hmm. all this stuff together. Um, after we, uh, you know, after we went through that uh list of responses. Then we went back out to companies that we felt had been responsive to the RFP, and we began working with them. Uh, We set up committees and so on, and we uh, asked everybody to uh, contribute their uh, specifications, how they saw uh, these requirements being satisfied. Uh, and they all did this voluntarily. They gave us their cut at the spec. And then we held a lot of meetings back and forth, worked together uh, with manufacturers uh, primarily, but with operators as well. The operators sent technical people to the meetings and there was a back and forth. And out of that came um, the development of the spec. Uh, we then took the spec internally into Cable Labs and with the staff refined it and fixed it and um, because there were inconsistencies in it naturally there were things that didn't work um, there were two guys uh, if you remember Bob Crookshank, uh, Tom Moore yes um, mm-hmm. interesting guys um, and they were interns they came to Cable Labs during the summer <laughs> summer interns from CU uh, they were engineering students so just um, down the road <laughs> Just down the road, right? Yeah. And we thought these guys were going to be short term. Yeah. Oh, 
man, these guys were just uh, a wonderful contribution uh, to our technical expertise. We had a staff of people who understood telecom and were, you know, very good at the theory of transmission, um, had a really good um, CTO and staff. And, you know, all this was, I think, pretty solid. But uh, these two guys kind of picked up the ball and ran with it. And I think the the name docs, which is, I, I am not sure about this, but I uh, think was Bob Crookshank. Mm-hmm. Data over cable system interface specification, right? right. And, and we, it's still here today. <laughs> <laughs> we began calling the spec that. Um, mm-hmm. And then there were, have been multiple iterations of that, as you know. Yeah. Now, as part of that, what we said is, if a manufacturer will build a device that satisfies this spec, we'll bring it in-house and we'll test it against the spec. And then uh, we'll give you a certification. We'll say it meets spec or it doesn't, right? And so um, there were, you know, many, many companies, hundreds that submitted uh, hardware to us for evaluation. Uh, And out of that long process of, of evaluation, uh, we created a certification board. A certification board were representatives from the cable labs, number companies. Um, they were CTOs or CTO representatives, and uh, they met uh, in private among themselves to look at our data where we had tested the device, look at the spec, and make the decision. We. We cable labs didn't make the decision. The MSOs made the decision based on our data. And a lot of times they'd come back and ask us, well, could you do a little more testing? We're not sure about this. Or can you explain what this data means? Um, All of that very iterative and and a very healthy development. I thought a very uh, development climate because everybody was really interested in this. Um, Manufacturers, because good market, and uh, the, the MSO is thinking, yeah, this is a great service, uh, but uh, we need to get scale. And if we don't have scale for our manufacturers, um, it's going to be hard to get good product uh, at uh, enough scale to satisfy all of the MSOs. Well, so- and to get the, the price down and, and retail was going to be a part of it. You can't do a retail product if, if it's if you don't have interoperability. I mean, you can't be like, well, you can buy this modem, but it only works um, with this particular cable operator in these particular uh, markets. Yeah, so yeah, that actually squared uh, yeah, it was yeah. important for us. And we said from the beginning, this, this is going to be a retail product. Uh, MSOs are going to mm-hmm. buy it, but we're going to we're going to make it available through retail stores. And we did. And that worked out. Uh, the other, I think, really important point here, after we got the spec finished, this is before certification, uh, of course, we then put it out for comment uh, to the world. Uh, manufacturers all came back. Uh, the wonderful part about that is it really got scrubbed for mistakes. or And we had manufacturers come to us and say, you know, uh, if you did it that way, it, it, it's going to be more expensive than if, but we think we can do the same thing this way and it'll be less expensive. So we put those kinds of things in the general spec going out to everybody. We also set up a, a pool um, for 
anybody who had intellectual property in uh, the model, in, in, in the spec, would contribute that intellectual property um, into a pool and there were an agreement not to sue each other. So there would be one-stop shopping for all the intellectual property. Was that like the royalty-free aspect of everything? It's royalty-free, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was royalty-free in the sense that you could join the pool. In order to get in the pool, you had to contribute uh, your intellectual property. And in, in return, you got the use of everybody else's intellectual property in the pool with, uh, uh, with the guarantee that you wouldn't be sued. So that's the you be yeah. So you had to have some yeah. You so, had to have some value beyond yeah. You're giving up, <laughs> you're giving up something, but you're getting something back. Yeah. Well, I think these are all very important. We, as you mentioned, and I think you raised a question: What do you do about the manufacturers? We really wanted the the manufacturers to be happy um, and see this as a an opportunity for them, and to eliminate as many of the roadblocks as we could because we wanted to be a big market. We wanted to be interoperable. And the other thing that we did, um, which is, I don't think people mention very often, uh, Jeff, because I, I kind of did it in a lot of ways. I spent a lot of time in Geneva and we made this a world standard. We took this into the UN, the ITU, and we got DOCSIS approved as a worldwide standard. So all of the countries of the UN endorsed this and said, if uh, we will require this in our country as the, um, uh, as the modem for use on cable transmission. Right. So the beauty of this is worldwide, huge market, same chip and everything worldwide. Little wrinkle on that is um, a part of this, of course, was the the digital uh, the uh, RF digital transmission part of it, which was kind of a separate standard. Uh, definitely paradox. This is how you create um, a a signal that's carrying the digital information uh, to the modem. We standardize that, and that is a worldwide standard, and still exists. I mean, that's. The standard for digital well, transmission and cable. Yeah. So all of this gave a real, uh, you know, kind of bedrock platform for manufacturers to build modem. Um, well, and it's still there, right? And, uh, you know, the, the bedrock has it, continued. And, you know, we've had different right. iterations of DOCSIS and, you know, we're up to... 4.0 now and uh, multi-gigabit speeds and low latency and all that, all that good stuff. But... Um, yeah, yeah I, think I, these were, uh, I think we were lucky to get a megabit out of these. Uh, <laughs> there were big oh, back then, issues yeah. with that. I mean, there were all kinds of um, effects that we discovered when we got it out in the field that we needed to build on. We knew we didn't get it perfect the first round, so we made these other iterations. And now we're up to uh, DOCSIS for that. Um, yeah. Do you think um, this is going to be it for DOCSIS? Um, I, mean, I mean, it's kind of a, a tough thing to really predict right um i think that there's some different opinions uh you know it's like well after 4.0 do you just go fiber to the premises or uh you know is there a way to enhance and go further up into the uh the spectrum and do like a 4.1 or a 5.0 or something i guess we'll have to see but any uh opinion on on that well 
I think if you're a cable operator and you're operating what amounts to a telecom system now, right? You, uh, most of the companies that I'm involved in um, are also mobile carriers as well as landline carriers, right? Yep. So we have both networks. Um, and clearly the future is integrating those networks so they work better together. That's important for customers. Customers want to buy connection. Uh, and, and, and we don't want to have to concern them about exactly how it gets to them. They just want it to work and they want it to work well. And so I think if you're in, in the business of operating um, a, a telecommunications company right now, you, you, you basically think of what tools do I have to, to get this data to customers? And there's a, you know, there's a wide range, as you point out, and there's uh, differences of view on exactly what the mix ought to be. There's Doxis 4, there's Fiber, um, there's um, clearly things like you can uh, deliver uh, data on our cell plants on 5G, right? I mean, there's... And all the fixed wireless you know, stuff that's out do, there. We do, yeah. we, mm -hmm. we, we do fixed mobile, too. You know, I mean, we do... We're... <clears throat> The operators, at least that I'm involved in, and I think most operators are in a situation where they want to be a carrier for whatever uh, service the customer needs. Um, now, I'm not trying to avoid your question here. If you're, I think you have to look at your particular situation if you're an operator and you say, what mix of these tools do I need? There are clearly some places where Docs is for is very useful and valuable. There are clearly places where it's better to put fiber in. I mean, and you know the obvious ones. If you have commercial service, business service, you want to put fiber in. If you have a new build, you want to put fiber in because um, it makes the most sense. You're, it costs you a certain amount of labor. You want to get the maximum bang for the buck. And in uh, different circumstances, the answer is different. For us in Europe, we, as you know, uh, Liberty Global, we're, you, we're overbuilding ourselves with fiber. Um, we're in a different market. We have very aggressive um, fiber overbuilders and, um, and effect, in, in the telco, telcos are tough competitors, you know. I mean, and in Canada, tough telco competitors. Um, so uh, the mix is different depending where you are. And, you know, you've seen the difference between Charter and Comcast, different markets, uh, different situation. In fact, I think the honest truth is you almost have to analyze this market for not market and even sometimes neighborhood for neighborhood. What's the best solution here? Because it's cost. I mean, there are a lot of people say, well, Doxis 4 is cheaper than fiber. Uh, well, you know, that varies according to the circumstance. Well, it depends on what's important to you. You know, uh, some argue about the operational savings you get with, with fiber, and I think that all needs to factor in as well. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. one of the things that you have to think about here, and this is always this is always the tough strategic part, and this is why the strategic guys get paid the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, uh, what happens next? Uh, what's, uh, you know, if I put fiber in... Um, is it going to be evergreen? I mean, you know, it's in the ground and I can change the ends, uh, but it's got huge capacity long term. Um, is the 
is the coax plant running out of steam? Well, the answer to that is a lot of places, no, it's not. It's still got a lot of capacity in it. Uh, some places, yes, it'd, it'd be better to have fiber. If, if you're doing a commercial service, you're probably better off with fiber, as we pointed out. You know, I mean, well, there's, there's no uniform answer. Yeah, there's no uniform answer anymore right. on what to do next. And, and that kind of ties into, you know, another it's thing. It's a judgment yeah. call. And I think, by the way, my sense is this industry is really good at thinking those things through and analyzing and working with manufacturers you know, yeah. to develop whatever they need. Now, what do you think about what's going on with the uh, the use of the term cable itself, right? I mean, Cable Labs is still there. They haven't changed the name, but, you know, but we have seen <laughs> some other organizations uh, yeah. uh, migrate or evolve, you know, to you know, more like connectivity and, and taking kind of cable out of the, uh, out of the organization, uh, name, um, you know, I, I guess some of that makes sense, right? Because it's all about connectivity, and, and you're right, because the it's not uniform anymore. There's a lot of different tools, uh, but um, yeah, you know, I guess how do, how do you think that kind of speaks to the um, uh, you know the kind of the collegial aspect of um, the industry uh, that that's been known to be there over the years, you know, versus today, it feels to me like, you know, it's definitely changed a little bit, but uh, uh, I don't know if you'd agree, but um, you know, or what kind of what the causes of it, but it could be because you know, not everybody's in this is lockstep on everything anymore. Well, <laughs> I'm always reminded. I remember sitting in the audience with Ted Turner was on the platform and he said, I was cable when cable wasn't cool. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think you remember that, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, as to names, uh, you know, clearly, again, uh, companies need to name themselves whatever they think best addresses their constituents, whether they're and whatever their organization mm. does in terms of selling, uh, you know, selling communication services. Um, I think in terms of grand strategy overall, uh, the world's changing around us. Uh, I've always been really proud to be a cable guy. And, and uh, as you say, uh, the collegiality uh, of the industry is phenomenal. It's a very, very special industry. Uh, but the world uh, changes a around you and your markets change, your customers change, what they want changes. Um, every, you have to adapt to the change. Uh, and I think the cable companies are very good at that. If you think about it, and during Cable Labs era, we migrated from analog to digital to telecom. Um, we, we looked at what to do about set-top boxes. Um, uh, what we should have done, obviously, is go directly to IT set-top boxes at the time, right? Instead, you say uh, IP set-tops? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because yeah. that would fit right in with the whole concept of packet cable and yeah. uh, with the packet network and with the data transmission and all our other specs. But the problem with that is it was a huge jump. And uh, looking back on it, um, uh, I, I don't think we necessarily were wrong. We, uh, it was too big a step for 
any of us to take and adjust to and be able to manage, right? The steps analog to digital was big enough. And the cable industry did that uh, really well. You, you know, you, you're aware of the broadcast side, painful, difficult. Yes. Uh, other industries have had to do uh, that change. And um, it's a credit to the cable industry they did it so well. And then the change from um, digital to telecom services, data services, a wonderful transition. Uh, did it brilliantly, I think. Uh, so great industry, great ability to adapt. And here we are now. We've got, you know, uh, how do we integrate wireless in here? We uh, made a lot of straight, uh, strides in um, in Wi-Fi. I think we've been a pretty good uh, developer and deployer of, of Wi-Fi uh, in homes. But now, you know, what do we do uh, when we have to cover bigger areas? And, you know, different companies have come up with different solutions to that. We have hotspots. Uh, some companies have hotspots. Um, all of that. Uh, the 5G standard is a very good standard. I'm on the FCC advisory committee. We're, we're in the middle of 6G, right? We're, we're beginning mm -hmm. to look at the next generation. And there's a lot of good things in all those specs. And again, here's a set of tools. Here's a set of opportunities. Um, these companies have got the strategic vision and they've, they've, they've got the internal strength. And they've got the customer base that wants these services. So let's see how that all, you know, mixes together and comes out. Yeah. Yeah. No, wireless and mobile is like right, right in, uh, I mean, just this week. Yeah. NCTC doing the deal with AT&T and, and, you know, that's going to address another big chunk of, um, of the market. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, um, yeah. And, you know, with, uh, time where it is, I wanted to jump ahead a little bit because. Sure. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. I don't mean no, to go down <laughs> yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit because, you know, NAB is just around the corner as we're, we're talking, right? And uh, ATSC 3.0 is, again, going to be a big focus there. And I didn't realize this when I was putting things together for you, but you got ATSC uh, off the yeah. ground, right? I mean, I you, did. You, I did. Um, many years ago. You, all your, broad, your broadcasting roots. Well, uh, yeah, I would, you know... I was a broadcaster for, for many years, and my um, gosh, I had a wonderful career and time in, in broadcasting. And as part of that, I, um, you know, worked in L.A. I was in charge of post-production uh, at ABC Hollywood, and then I later on uh, went to, uh, uh, to New York, and uh, CBS asked me to run the CBS um, advanced television laboratory. Um, and then uh, I subsequently went to PBS after that. So <clears throat> history and broadcasting and great, great time. And a lot of, right. got to do a lot of very interesting things. And as you mentioned, one of the interesting things was CBS, when I was running the CBS lab, asked me, would you mind going to Washington and help set up this organization? We'd like to see, we broadcasters and uh, manufacturers as well, we'd like to see an organization to, to provide a forum for us to develop a, a standard and specification for high-definition television. And, and, and so, when was this roughly, again? Uh, 83, 80, uh, 80, 
I would say 83. Early 80s? Okay, early 80s. Uh, All right. Yeah, early 80s, 82 or 83. Okay. Um, And so I did. And I was had an office in the NAB. NAB was kind of our host, um, but we were uh, a committee of manufacturers, of uh, broadcasters, and we held meetings, worked together to, um, again, develop a spec for the future of broadcasting in high definition. Uh, previous to that, just so you know, I had at CBS Labs had been working uh, on the technology of high-definition television. And in 81, uh, we did the first uh, television programs in high-def. And I got to uh, produce those. And uh, there's a paper, uh, I think it's, uh, I'm not sure what journal it was in, uh, where I I detailed that. We went out in the field and we shot a Fall Guy episode. I worked. I got to work with Francis Coppola. The Fall Guy? <laughs> remember that show? Yeah. A short movie. Yeah, Fall Guy. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we did. Well, we did an episode of Fall Guy using a high-definition camera just to okay. learn. How because to you, had, you had to do the, you had to get the camera. You had to figure out the workflow. I mean, there, there's a lot to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. post-production. Back, we did everything. Yeah. We produced the whole show. Um, yeah. I, I went out in the, the, the December 81. We shot clear through the holiday season, edited it, we had it finished by the end of January. And I think we even showed it at the NAB show. So, oh, okay, uh, like here's anyway. a glimpse at HD. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. and then uh, CBS asked me to go set up the ATSC. So we tried to develop these specs. And, you know, again, there have been a series of uh, broadcast specifications. <clears throat> I'll tell you a little secret, little known. Well, you're going to be telling everybody. Yeah, right. yeah well, you know, <laughs> you know yeah, I mean, this, this is a little... <laughs> The first specification uh, that was proposed at ATSC internally for high definition for the U.S., the committee, was an 80 hertz standard. (laughs) And the reason for that was... Explain that to me. (laughs) We can get agreement with the BBC and in Europe Mm -hmm. uh, that it wasn't 50, wasn't 60, let's do 80. And we knew new sensors were coming along uh, that would... The, pro- the problem is 80 hertz didn't work very well with tube cameras, uh, but we knew we were going to have solid state scanners, and therefore we'd be able to move to a higher end. Of course, it died a very quick death. I got calls from a lot of people saying, there's no way we're ever going to agree to this. <laughs> yes. so yeah, like that, like that's a non-starter, bud. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Little uh, little gem that I don't think I've ever told anybody. Well, there you go. You just you just let the cat out of the bag on that one. But uh, yeah, so you okay? So we got the HD. You know, now I know there's you know some 4K out there. There's 8K. Who knows? But um, you know, I think with NAB coming the show, um, you know, looking at what's coming out of there, there's a lot more. There's gonna be a lot of demos and things around the 3.0. The standard, right? And and we're talking 4K and enhanced audio and advanced advertising. You know, maybe turning it into uh, like an IP distribution pipe, right? Because it's an IP based uh, standard. Um, and I know the stations. You know, they're they're trying to get it rolled out. Um, it's getting built into you know uh, quite a few new TVs. You know, but it takes time to get everything out there. Um, and I think there's still some questions about, hey, how successful is 3.0 going to be? But um, 
I mean, what do you think is their biggest challenge to getting that, or, or what do you think is the biggest challenge that the new standard faces? Well, uh, let me back up 100,000 feet to real principles here. I, I think uh, I, I was at Cable Labs by the time <clears throat> that uh, the first ATSC broadcast standards got decided, and uh, probably what should have happened at that time is the transmission standard should have been based on OFDM. Um, and uh, so like the small subcarriers, that kind of yeah, yeah. And I think I think there was a real a barrier there that the chipsets weren't ready. Requires pretty heavy processing for the time. So it was a very hard again, uh, the technology wasn't quite ready for <clears throat> the right technical decision. So they had to make a decision to get in the market and in order to get broadcast high def going. Uh, so they wound up with a standard uh, that uh, new technology was quickly making obsolete. And so uh, DOCSA 3, I mean, not DOCSA you know, <laughs> 3.0, um, is that jump to OFDM, right? With uh, small subcarriers and so on. And with the advantages it has, and as you point out, one of the chief advantages it has is it integrates with IT. And it integrates with the IT world. So um, I would think uh, from not having been in broadcasting and not really knowing anything about this right, right now, I look at it and say, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, I eventually you have to do this. But um, I know it's painful because you have to uh, get the pieces together in order to make this work. You've got to get broadcasters committed to carry it. You've got to get manufacturers committed to put it in the television set. Uh, you've got to get customers interested on the, the new um, services that can be offered this way. A whole lot of things need to happen uh, before it can really materialize. I have no idea where that is. I'm just giving you an opinion, uh, looking at it from, from a distance. It seems to me it's really hard to get all those pieces together to make it work. And I'm sure the show is yeah. the right place to get people together to talk about it. And if you can get them to agree, yeah, this is the thing we need to do. It requires investment. It requires risk. It requires a transition. Um, and, uh, when you have an installed base of television uh, receivers and a, you know, a, a world out there that's used to the old standard, uh, that transition is, is not, is quite painful. Yeah. yeah so and I think he's go out to making the change. Yeah. I have no idea. I can't, oh. can't offer any advice other than to say, you know, uh, technologically, gee, I can really see the need. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm going to be curious to see where things stand you know next week i'll have a chance to take a look around talk to some people uh yeah it, it feels like um you know you said there's different pieces that need to be put together and i think uh to a degree they are being put together but i'm sure things just never happen as quickly as you'd like <laughs> if you're yeah. in that seat i mean you go back to your the days of doxis right they said hey can you do this in six months but you know it was a two-year you know just to get that process yeah. You know, I think, uh, yeah, I think the goalposts sometimes have to move uh, just depending on, uh, you know, what kind of uh, barriers you come up against, whether it's uh, 
regulatory, operational, technology, you know, a lot of it goes into it. But uh, yeah, we'll be curious to see. Um, then the last thing I wanted to ask you about, because I'm always kind of curious, right, um, about like well, people, you know, you've, you've been on the front edge of next gen technology for a long time. I'm always kind of curious, hey, what, what's everybody's like home setup, right? In terms of oh. <laughs> broadband and and uh, connectivity, wow. you know, what, what what's what's in uh, Doctor Green's house? What, what you, <laughs> I mean, you're on the well, Boulder area, so um, you know Boulder, Colorado, you know, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm. Uh, Are you a super a advanced example for this? <laughs> well, I, you can see. Oh no, I guess you can't. I'm, uh, the, I I uh, my hobby. Um, and kind of uh, alternative interest has always been music. And so uh, what I've been able to do now that I have uh, in uh -oh. is I like to compose music. And uh, some uh, producers of uh, documentaries and so on asked me to score, um, you know, score docu documentaries, oh. write music for it and so on. So I love to do that. Uh, it's really it's really fun for me. It's a good combination of technology, uh, the uh, the current state of software, for being able to uh, uh, you know to realize uh, you know full orchestras on your computer and so on. It's it's mind blowing. You think, gee, you you know I can write 150 put 150 piece orchestra here. Right. So I'm driven just a just lot in your own that. room there. Yeah, you got 100. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can see it behind me. I think I've got. I, uh, there's probably in view at least three keyboards. I have maybe six computers doing different things um, as part of that. Um, I <clears throat> my family was nice enough to buy me uh, a gaming machine with uh, like 17 cores or something <laughs> to to uh, actually render. What you do is render it into audio and then I send that audio by the internet to, to Hollywood and they integrate it into the shows, you know, and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so it, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's been wonderful for me to use the technology of the internet. So I, I use all the internet tools plus, um, the distribution in the house is, um, we have uh, basically plume pods because plume uh, Liberty Global is an investor. I think Comcast is an investor or yes. has been. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So you get distribution in the house. Yeah. With the Wi-Fi. So I like the plume yeah. distribution in the house. It covers, make sure that uh, the internet works everywhere and Wi-Fi works everywhere. Uh, I'm a huge user of data, as you can imagine, because I send big video files um, haven't been sending 8k, but there are always at least 4k, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> because these are contribution files and then they, they get edited further, you know, out on, on the coast. And um, okay. so, so you need some uh, speed in there. Yeah. I need uh, some upstream need speed. speed. Yeah. There you go. The speed that I have uh, through Comcast and through uh, plume is about a gigabit a second. Okay, so you're one of the, the gig adopters. I'm looking. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking. Well, I think people are talking two and ten and stuff, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think we're uh, 
We're into the multi-gigabit uh, level. Yeah, well, to see maybe once you get to uh, to 8K and, and you start doing stuff in uh, virtual reality in the metaverse, um, you know, we'll, we'll have to get you a multi-gigabit connection to the to Dr. Yeah, Gray's yeah. house. So, well, no, I think I, that's great. Yeah. So, you got, know, I'm, I'm lucky that companies, um, you know, are responsive to to my request for help on uh, <laughs> you have no, some connections, I think, right? Yeah. yeah you you know right. who to call. Well, that's uh, always a good picture. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's great. Cause you got, got uh, Dr. Richard Green, uh, you know, broadcast and, and cable pioneer and, uh, and composer. So, you know, that, that was a new one that I didn't know about. So that's great. Well, well, congrats on, uh, on that part of it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been great to catch up with you and, and I think that's, you know, we covered a lot of ground, but, um, I think that's where we're going to leave it for today, Dr. Green. So again, thanks for all your insights. And, uh, it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you for asking me, Jeff. It was a real pleasure to talk to you and, uh, spend time with you. Yeah. You too. Thanks for the, right. for the opportunity to kind of, uh, review it and, and, and relive some of these moments of the past. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. It was great to talk to you. All right. Thanks.